Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. We continue our series on the 11 tests of saving faith. We're on test number three today. Our series is founded in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, where we are commanded by God to test ourselves, to examine ourselves, two commands in this one verse, to make sure that we are in the faith, meaning we are Christians, truly born again Christians. It is possible to say you are a Christian and not really be one. I shared with you that Billy Graham said a few years ago that he believed that 60% of the people in the churches of America on any given Sunday morning were not true Christians, though they would claim to be. We saw where Jesus said on that day, meaning the judgment day, that many will say to him, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so it behooves us to examine ourselves to see if indeed we are Christians. Now, I've said to you that your salvation is based on grace and faith. As you see in the chart before you there. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, that is a gift of God. But the assurance of our salvation is based on a changed life and faith. You see, if you're not living the life, then you have no reason to believe that you indeed are a Christian. I don't care what you've professed in the past. I don't care if you've walked down a church aisle. I don't care if you've been baptized. I don't care if you're... Name is on ten church rolls. If your life has not changed, then you have no assurance that you are a true believer. Because Christ invades your life when you are born again into His kingdom. We're like that cesspool before we come to Christ. But when we come to Christ, it's like the artesian well of Fresh water that begins boiling up in our life. And just as that cesspool character will have to change eventually, it will be slow, it will be gradual, but it will change. You come back to that cesspool in a month, and it will not be the same as it was the day before the artesian well was drilled in the middle of it. It's going to slowly but consistently and gradually become fresh water. When your life is invaded by the living Christ through His Spirit, there has got to be a change. There cannot help but be a change. And if you look at your life and you, in your honesty, do not see a change, from the time before you are a believer to the time that you are, 
then you need to seriously question. Now, if you accepted Christ when you were young, it will be less of a dramatic change. But you should see evidence of these 11 tests in your life. Now, there will be more evidence in some areas than others. Some of these tests you'll see more of than others. But you should see some evidence of each of these tests in your life if you are truly born again of God's Spirit. And the first test we saw was you desire to walk in the light and in fellowship with God. You desire to walk in righteousness, in truth. The second test we saw last week is you desire to be obedient to God's commands and surrender to the Lordship of Christ in your life. You desire to obey God's commands. There's a desire in your heart to be obedient to God's Word. And you desire to surrender to His Lordship in your life. Now today we come to the third test. And take your Bibles and turn over to 1 John chapter 5. And we will be looking at verses 11 and 12 at this point. And the third test is a pursuit and realization of a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. A personal relationship. There is a pursuit of that relationship, and it is the realization of that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And respect for the Word of God, let me ask you to stand. Verse 11, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. You may be seated. Now look at what John is saying there. This is the testimony. This is the witness that God's given eternal life. And where do we find this life? It is in His Son. It's in Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who said again, I am the resurrection and the life. Eternal life is not primarily a duration of life, though it is everlasting. It is a quality of life. Eternal life in the Greek is literally life of the ages. Life of the age of ages. Talking about heaven life. It's a quality of life, not primarily a duration. See, we, we misunderstand eternal life when we think of and stress the eternal part of it. It will be eternal. It will last forever. But it's the quality of life. It's the heaven life. 
And when you understand where that life is found, you understand the quality. That life is found in Jesus. Verse 12. He who has the Son, who has Jesus, who has a relationship with Jesus, who has Jesus living within them, has what? The light. Because Jesus is the light. It's a relationship with Him. It's that quality of life that comes from a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus that is eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God, does not have the relationship with Jesus, does not have the Son of God living within them, does not have the life. You cannot. How could you? Because Jesus is the life. You cannot have that quality of life apart from Jesus Christ. Because He is the life. Now look over in chapter 2, verse 13. And we see John say it this way. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know Him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one, I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. Now, you see the words know twice in that one verse? Here again, as we saw last week with believe, sometimes our English word that we use to translate the Greek word falls short of the full meaning of the Greek word. And, and so it is with this word as it was with believe. Now, when you and I use the term know, many times we use it just to talk about knowing some facts or knowing about somebody or having a very minimum acquaintance with somebody. Somebody might say to me, do, do, do you know uh, Nathan Deal? And I would say, well, I know he's governor of Georgia. But I don't know him personally. You know, we'll say that term, right? Okay. Somebody might come up to me and say, uh, do you know so-and-so? And maybe I met so-and-so. And I might say, yeah, I know him. But only very shallow knowledge. But I would use the word no, right? Okay. Now, if somebody wanted to know if I had an intimate personal relationship with somebody, they wouldn't say, do you know him? They would say, do you... Are you deeply involved with this person? Do you know them intimately? Right? Well, this word for know in the Greek, when it's used in this context, it doesn't mean an acquaintance. It doesn't mean to know about somebody. It means to have a very intimate, personal relationship with them. And that's the richness of this word. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you have an intimate personal relationship with God. Now, Jesus says his same thing over in, over in John 17. But before we get to that, let me go over to the narrative of Jesus' birth and pick up for you the use of the word no in these accounts. Now, you and I are well aware of the 
birth narrative of the Lord Jesus. And we are aware of the virgin birth. But notice, when the angel came to Mary and announced to her that she was going to have a son. Well, as any young girl would wonder, how can this happen? And we pick up her conversation with the angel in Luke one thirty four. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be? In other words, how can I have a child? Since I am a virgin. Now the literal Greek there is no, no man. She really said to the angel, how can this be? Because I know no man. Now obviously she knew probably her father and she might have had brothers, so she knew brothers. She no doubt knew the guys that lived on the street where she lived. So she's not talking about an acquaintance. She's not talking about no is the way we use the word. No. She says, I've not had an intimate personal relationship with a man, so how can I have a child? Now the translators, knowing we may misunderstand what she says, translates, I know no man as I am a virgin. Alright? I don't have an intimate personal relationship with any man. I'm a virgin. And then over in Matthew's Gospel, when it's talking about Mary after Jesus was born, and it's talking about Mary's relationship to to, uh, Joseph, it says, but kept her a virgin. Now, the Greek is literally, was not knowing her. Now again, obviously, it doesn't mean that he didn't talk to her. It doesn't mean that they didn't share uh, intimate thoughts and conversations. And, and it didn't mean no like we use it, did it? No about. No, it meant he did not have that intimate personal husband and wife physical relationship until after Jesus was born. And so the translators, not wanting us to misunderstand it, translate it, He kept her a virgin, was not knowing her literally, until she gave birth to a son and he was called Jesus. Now say all of that to bring home the point that when the Scripture says those who know Him have eternal life, it means those that have an intimate personal relationship with Him are the ones who have eternal life. Jesus in John 17.3 says this, One of the only places in Scripture, one of the only two places in Scripture where eternal life is defined for us. In His priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, in John 17, 3, He says, this is eternal life. And He doesn't say to live on forever and ever and ever, does He? This is eternal life. Well, what is it, Jesus? That they may know you, God, the Father. That they may have an intimate, personal relationship with you, God the Father, and the the one whom you have sent. What is eternal life? It's having a personal relationship with God and Jesus Christ through His Spirit. That's what it is. That's how Jesus defines eternal life. And the other definition is over in 1 John, and we're going to see that later on. 
But eternal life is not that measure of life that is a distance, but it's that quality of life, that quality of life that comes from knowing Jesus personally and intimately. And that personal and intimate relationship with Christ will last forever. And it is eternal. It is everlasting. But the stress, the emphasis is on the quality of life. In heaven, we will have uninterrupted fellowship and communion with God. Sin will be left behind. There will be no break in the communion at all. That's the quality of life that awaits us in heaven. But you and I can get in on the heaven life right now on earth. To the degree that we have this intimate personal relationship with Jesus is the degree that we can experience heaven on earth. The degree that you walk with Jesus and and love Jesus and fellowship with Jesus and commune with Jesus is the degree that you experience heaven right now. That's what eternal life is. To know Him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. Now Paul picks up on this same thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Look what he says. He says, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with Him. Our spirit, the Holy Spirit, take on a oneness. As one spirit. Now we even use this term in our nomenclature when we say, man, they're so close, they just have oneness of spirit. Don't we? Oneness of heart. That's how close it is. Now you don't have a oneness of spirit with somebody you just met, you just acquainted with. We talk about it and we desire it for the husband-wife relationship, don't we? And the two shall become one. Right? And here it says that we who've been joined to Christ are one spirit with Him. I don't know any way you can understand that other than the intimate, personal relationship. And the one who's truly a Christian will pursue and realize an intimate, personal relationship with God and Jesus Christ through His Spirit. Now Paul realized what this meant because Paul had a religion and then he got a relationship. Now, you've heard me say, Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. You see, a religion is going through the motions. A religion is going to church, doing religious things. Saying prayers, giving money, joining a church, being baptized, reading the Bible. You can do all of those things and not have a relationship. That's just a religion. The Pharisees were prime examples of religious people. Paul was a Pharisee. In fact, Paul says, buddy, if anybody could boast in being religious, he says, it's me. He said, I was so religious, even my parents did everything right. I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like the law says you should be. He said, man, I've kept the law. If anybody's kept it, I've kept it. I've been a Pharisee of Pharisees. (laughs) He said, man, I I know religion. I have been there. I have done that. I can stand against anybody 
who wants to claim to be religious, and I can say I was more religious than you. But then, he found a relationship. And look what he says about the difference between the two in Philippians 3, beginning with verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. All that was gained to me of being a real religious person, and people would look up to me and say, Oh, look at Paul. Look how religious he is. Man, he's a religious, he is a good person. He's a great person. Look at, he loves God so much, he's even persecuting these so-called Christians. All the fame and all the prestige and all the honor that Paul might have gained because of his religious behavior. He says, I count it but loss for the sake of Christ. He said, more than that. I count all things to be lost in the view of the passing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, I count all those religious things as nothing. In fact, they just lost compared to a personal, intimate relationship with Christ. Knowing Him. Look at what he goes on to say. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now that word rubbish is a euphemism in the English translation. For some reason, the English translators don't really want to get down to what it really is in the Greek. The real Greek word is for refuge, manure. That's what Paul says about his religion compared to his relationship. It was nothing but manure compared to knowing Jesus Personally, he says, and that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. There is no comparison, he says, to religion and relationship. Relationship is eternal life. Religion is nothing but damnation. Because eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ. The born-again believer will know God and Jesus intimately and personally. Now over in 1 John 5, 20, this is that other definition of eternal life that Scripture gives. Only two. This is the other one. 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may, there it is, know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. But what is the true God and eternal life? That we may know Him who is true. And that we are in Him who is true. In His Son. Eternal life is knowing intimately and personally the Lord Jesus Christ. Not knowing about Him like you know about 
Abraham Lincoln. Not like you know about some other person of history. But you actually know him. Personally. You have a relationship with him. He is a real and present person in your life. He's a constant companion to you. Can you say you know Him? And not just know about Him? A person who is truly born again, Jesus is a trusted friend. And the knowledge of Him is cultivated. You study the Scriptures because it is in the Scriptures that you come to know Jesus. Not the Jesus of your making, but the Jesus of the New Testament. That's the Jesus that you quest to know, that you desire to know, that you come to know as you study in His Word and study Him. Jesus is recognized and enjoyed as a constant companion. You know He's with you all day, every day. And you talk to Him throughout the day. And you spend time alone with Him in the Word. And He speaks to you. And you speak to Him in prayer. There is this sharing of relationship between you and God. One who is truly born again, his life will gradually become more christ Centered. You see, the born-again person begins to relate all facets of his life to the approval and disapproval of Jesus. Because he becomes the most important person in your life. More important than your wife, more important than your husband, more important than your children, even more important than yourself. And so you want to know what does Jesus want me to do in this situation. And you seek His approval. And you go through life looking at different parts of your life and saying, Jesus, is this what you want for me? Is this according to your will? Is this what you desire? Because you want His approval more than you want anything. When one becomes zealous to walk with God in His perfect will, it's an indication He's been born again into God's kingdom. You remember Zacchaeus? The tax collector, the thief, one of the most despised people of the Jewish culture because he was in uh, cahoots with the Roman government. He could just come up to you and say, hey, you owe a tax on those shoes you got on them. You owe a tax on those fish you just brought up out of the Sea of Galilee. Pay me the money. And then I could keep what I wanted and give the rest to the Roman government. You had to pay. Hated. Well... When he got saved, look at what the Scripture says over in Luke 19.8. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I give it back four times as much. Now, This man's life changed when he came into a personal relationship with Jesus. He wanted to please Jesus. And a person who's truly born again will want to please Jesus Christ. 
This personal relationship with Christ will be slowly cultivated. This is the essence of Christianity. You should know Jesus better today than you knew Him a year ago. As the song that says, it gets sweeter as the days go by. It gets sweeter as the moments fly. Why does it get sweeter? Because you know Jesus more and more intimately. I hope your marriage is getting sweeter as the days go by. Mine is. Because I know my wife better. Love her more than I did the day we got married. I see more things wrong with her, but that's okay. She sees more things wrong with me too. But we love each other anyway. Amen? Because there's that growing relationship. That depth of relationship. And the same should be true of our relationship to Christ. We grow more and more intimately involved with Him as we spend more time with Him. Right? And so we should see a progression in our growth and our relationship with Him. We should cultivate it. Jesus talks about this over in John fourteen twenty one. He says, He who has My commandments and keeps them is the one who loves Me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him, and watch this, and will disclose myself to him. We know Jesus as he discloses himself to us. And you and I in our finite minds cannot comprehend the infinite. He has to reveal himself to us. And the more He reveals Himself, the more we know Him, and the more we're transformed into His likeness. Well, who does Jesus say He reveals Himself to? To those who obey His commandments. That's why we said last week, a true sign of a born-again Christian is you desire to obey God's commands and surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And as you are obeying Him and walking under His Lordship, He says He will disclose Himself to you in greater and greater ways. And as He does that, you grow to know Him more and more intimately. And in the same process, you're being transformed into His likeness. Now, I think there are six facets to cultivating a relationship with Christ. You say, well, preacher, I want to have that relationship with Christ. I do want to cultivate it. But what do I need to do? How can I do that? I've talked about it, but I want to give you six concrete things you can do to pursue and realize a personal relationship with God through Christ. Number one, obey Jesus. I mean, Jesus just said that's who He's going to reveal Himself to, those who obey Him. So obey Jesus. Obey the Word. God gives you light. He shows you something in your life you need to do. Do it. Secondly, trust Jesus. Let me tell you, the more you know Jesus, the more you'll trust Him. Okay? He tells you He wants you to do something. All right, trust Him. Trust Him for the grace you need to do that. Step out in trust and obedience. 
Trust Him with your concerns. Trust Him with your worries. Trust Him with your family. Trust Him with your job. Trust Him. And then thirdly, study Jesus. You can't know Jesus apart from the Scripture. All true knowledge of Jesus is found in the Word of God. Again, there's a lie of Satan out there that people say, well, you just got to find the Jesus within. And they want to come up with all this Jesus of their own making. No, that's not the Jesus who can save you. It's the Jesus of the New Testament. It's the Jesus of Scripture. That's where we get to know Him. Study the Scripture to study Jesus. Read the Gospels. See Jesus at work. See what He says. Learn of Him. And something I've found to be helpful to me as I'm reading the Gospels is read them like you're reading them to Jesus. You know, And when it says, He went down to the Sea of Galilee, read it and say, and Jesus, you went down to the Sea of Galilee. And you said to Peter, Peter, I want to get in your boat and so I can teach. And read it like you're reading it to Him. Have a conversation about what's going on. You're with Jesus when you're studying the Word. Talk to Him about it. Read it like you're sitting with Him together and you're reading about Him. See how that personalizes this. You know, He said, Jesus, You told Peter to put the net down and, and to raise it up and it was so filled with fish they couldn't bring it in. Jesus, that was, man, that was great. You really blew them away with that, didn't you? Man, they couldn't believe it. They fell down and worshipped. I want to worship you right now too, Jesus. Personalize it. Spend time with Jesus. And then fourthly, worship Jesus. And let me tell you, if you obey Jesus and trust Jesus and study Jesus, you will worship Jesus. You'll have that communion with Him. You will fall down in worship because He will reveal Himself to you. And the response of a revelation of Jesus is worship. You'll see how worthy He is. When you really meet God, you don't jump up and shout. You fall down. You fall down and get blown away. And then share Jesus. Share Jesus. It's amazing how you get more when you give it away. <laughs> Share Jesus with others. When He is the most important thing in your life, you will not be able to help but share Him. And then, love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me suggest a prayer to you that I pray. I say, Father... Pour out Your love for the Lord Jesus into my heart. Give me as much of a love for Jesus as I can stand and still fulfill the responsibilities of this life. Because I realize if He poured out into my heart His love for Jesus, I wouldn't be worth anything to anybody. I would just want to sit in the presence of Jesus 24-7. I'd be so caught up with Jesus, I wouldn't want anything else. And that's what it's going to be like in heaven. So I say, Lord, give me as much of a love for Jesus as I can stand and still fulfill the responsibilities You've given me. But I want to love Jesus more. 
and more and more. Do you know Jesus? A non-Christian will not desire to know God more and more intimately. He will not desire to be in the presence of Jesus and long for those times of sweet communion and fellowship. He may be religious. He may come to church. He may give his offering. She may sing her song. But there won't be any communion with Jesus in it. There may be some emotion, but it'll just be the emotion of, of going to a, a movie or hearing music, secular music. It won't be a, an emotion generated from a heartfelt response to a living Savior. Do you pass this test? Are you pursuing and realizing a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 630 this is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcome at Westside Church. This is where... Everybody is somebody, and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.